Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Shona Jenkins and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Next month's UK election looks set to bring an end to a decade of austerity, with all three main parties promising to increase public spending. But whereas Boris Johnson's Conservative manifesto spending plans have been described as modest, the opposition Labour Party's spending plans were likened by one FT columnist to those of a shopaholic out with someone else's Amex. Here with me to discuss this is our economics editor, Chris Giles. Chris, Boris Johnson has claimed that Jeremy Corbyn's spending plans would lead the country into another financial crisis. But a group of leading economists wrote a letter to the FT this week saying Labour's economic programme was just what the country needed. What's your view? Well, let's just step back a second and say, what is Labour's spending plans? And really, they are very large compared with today's spending. So today, the government spends about 40% of goods and services are produced by the UK economy. About half is buying goods and services, and the rest of it is transferring money from one group of people to another, so pensions and welfare and so forth. And 40% isn't particularly high in an international context. And Labour wants to bring that up to roughly about 46%, which is about the same level as Germany. So overall, you can say you could not say that Labour's plans create crisis because Germany, France, Netherlands, Scandinavian countries are all not countries in economic crisis. So just having that amount of spending, it is just simply wrong to say it will cause an economic crisis. Where there's more concern clearly is about the speed at which you transition an economy from one of about 40% of national income to one of about 45, 46%. And there there's a lot more reason to be nervous that the additional spending wouldn't be done very well. It'd be too quick. It's very hard. You know, the British state has a lot of difficulties getting Crossrail to work, getting HS2 to work. These are tiny amounts of money compared with what Labour's expecting to spend. So the idea that you would spend it that quickly and well seems to me to be stretching things somewhat. So what are the most pressing problems that need to be addressed? As these economists who wrote to the FT put it, average earnings remain low, the north-south divide has widened, public services are under strain, and we face urgent need for action on the climate. Would you add anything to that list? Well, I think just thinking about the list... It's essentially true, you know, where the Conservatives say we have a very strong economy, we have a very strong economy in one context, which is employment. Employment growth is very high, and that's very good news. Unemployment is not a problem at the moment, and we have the record levels of employment, particularly among women. And so in that sense, the labour market has worked well. But what's worked much, much less well over the past decade is productivity, which underpins wages and underpins north-south divide and underpins everything else. So we're not as good as we used to be at transferring the amount we work into extra income and output. And if we don't get better at that, then we will be disappointed on incomes and living standards and poverty and all of these things. So productivity is the crucial question. It used to grow at about 2% a year. That's output per hour worked in the economy. And over the past decade, it's been growing at about 0.2%. So sort of 90% we've lost off what we used to consider a normal productivity growth rate. And if it doesn't improve, then the real thing that will happen is that the economy will grow much slower, tax revenues will be poor, and we will find we're not as rich as we'd like to be. So that ultimately is the big question for all parties. All parties need to improve productivity in a way that 
is environmentally friendly for the longer term. And this is at a time of an ageing population. It's not going to be easy. And I think anyone who assumes you can do it and it will be done just if you follow your policies. Unfortunately, the experience of the last decade is we've tried lots of things on productivity and it hasn't worked. So how are each of the parties planning to address this and all these problems? Why don't we start with earnings and consumer confidence? Well, on earnings and getting the economy to grow well, which I think will take as your question on consumer confidence, all parties are seeking to boost low earnings with faster growth in the minimum wage. Now, this will put the UK in quite an odd position internationally of having a very high minimum wage compared with average earnings. Some people are a little bit nervous about this. The low pay commission, for one, are a little bit nervous. No one's screaming that this is going to create massive amounts of unemployment because it really hasn't so far since 1998 when we had a minimum wage and then we started raising it quite quickly after 2015. So it's clear that we're going to start raising it again really fast. It doesn't necessarily help the poorest people because they're often not earning at all, but people at the bottom end of the earnings distribution will be helped. So that's one thing government can clearly do. To the rest of earnings, for people above that level and for the rest of the economy, getting that to grow faster, there's definitively going to be more public spending on capital. All parties are offering, even the Conservatives. So that's going to make public investment rise, even under the Conservatives, where they want to raise it to about 3% of the economy, apart from a very small peak 10 years ago. It's the highest since the 1980s. And Labour and the Lib Dems want it to go even higher than that, which is really getting back to sort of 1950s, 1960s levels. And so that is the sort of the area where government policy is trying to improve earnings, saying this is what we're going to do. We're going to invest in the economy. That will improve productivity. Then we can afford or companies can afford to pay people more. Apart from that, the more unemployment goes down, that might well help earnings too. So we might get to a position in the next few years where there's some sort of natural growth in earnings, which there hasn't been really over the past 10 years. So just to be clear, you're saying Lib Dems and Labour want to spend more and want to boost earnings more, and the Conservatives are being more cautious on this particular issue? In all aspects of public spending, you have the Conservatives most cautious, then the Lib Dems, then Labour. How will this affect productivity? Well, leave the current spending aside because generally that probably doesn't. That's just the government consuming more services. The hope is that over the past decade we've seen private sector not invest very much and particularly since 2015 there's been almost no growth in private sector investment. And investment is often the way that you make processes more efficient and then that drives productivity growth. So the idea is if the private sector on its own isn't willing to invest, then if the public sector invests more, then you get a similar sort of effect. And that might then crowd the private sector in and make them realise that growth is going to be stronger overall, make them also more willing to invest and you get a lot more investment and ultimately a lot more productivity growth. Don't expect it in year one, two or three, but towards the end, all parties have sort of latched on to this idea as the way to raise productivity, ultimately get Britain onto a stronger performing economy again. You can totally understand this is where the parties are. But I do think there's a big risk that these things won't work and that we'll end up just being a little bit disappointed, but with better infrastructure. So if you're saying that private investment has been minimal since 2015, can we explain why? And also, what are the parties saying on industrial strategy and who has the best ideas or the most sensible ideas to boost industrial 
growth and ensure that wealth spreads beyond London and the southeast? Well, on private investment, it is very odd how weak it's been because we've not had high unemployment. That's often when you get very low private investment. So it's pretty likely that it's bound up with Brexit. Now, companies have been wanting to know what's going to happen and they think we might as well wait. We don't want to commit a lot of money to investment, which we then find is wasted because we can't use it properly because something's happened to our trading relationships, which doesn't therefore work. And you see that in both in buildings and in plant and in software and even investment in people, because we don't know exactly what the rules are going to be. So the quicker we have more certainty is certainly a, we'll get some investment. Then when we think about industrial strategy, there the parties are really quite different. There's a lot of it is bound up again in public investment. And a lot of the public investment won't be in London and the South East. So there is a definitive plan from all parties to boost investment outside London and the South East. The other big industrial strategy differences has to be Labour's policy, where there's a lot of nationalisation. So they have a much greater state involvement in the economy. So they believe that you really need the power of government to make industries work better from broadband, water, rail, postal services. So all of these things would become, they say, nationalised in a Labour government or a Labour-led government. And they say that would make them run better because they would have control and they wouldn't be trying to fleece customers for the profit of their shareholders and bondholders. And there's got to be a lot of questions, not so much about whether you can afford to nationalise these things, because you can always borrow money and you get an asset in return, but whether you believe that the Labour government or their managers they appoint would run these companies better than the private sector does today. And that is the big question. Can we just come to the Tories for a second? Are they light on business, as some business leaders have complained? Well, there's really not a huge amount there. So a lot of the big issues that business wants, things like the business rates, there's basically nothing there. They say again, they can review it. They've postponed or actually scrapped a business tax cut in the corporation tax. So they're actually a tax raising party. Now, so there's not a huge amount there, but they are trading off the idea that at least they're not Labour, at least they're not wanting to have the state in every pocket of the private sector. And they have an industrial strategy. They want to be vaguely interventionist, but in a very modest way, pretty much like the government is now. And they're not, in that sense, a free market Thatcherite Tory party like they were in the 1980s or part of the 1990s. But equally, it's really not a very interventionist party either. What about public spending? What promises have been made on health, education, police and pensions? There have been a lot of promises made on all of these items and it's quite difficult because some of them were made last year. So the health promises were made by the Theresa May government in June 2018. The education and police promises were in lots of ways made this September in the spending round and then the manifestos build on these. So where there's no extra money for health in the Conservative manifesto, they would say, well, well, we put in £24 billion in the summer of 2018, so it doesn't mean that they're going to be cut. So I think when you look at the plans, what you see is, again, you see the same ordering. So Conservatives, as it were, having the lowest growth rate in spending, but a lot higher than they were over the last five years. So it is an end to austerity in terms of the, the cuts will end, although it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a lot of money there to improve 
health, education, police services. Police and education are going back to the level they were in a few years ago. So their cuts are going to be reversed a bit. Again, the health cuts are going to be reversed, but is that going to be enough to make the service feel much better? Experts say probably not. The Lib Dems are doing all of the same, slightly differently on health and education. Not a huge amount of extra money there. Where they're putting a huge amount of extra money in is childcare. So they are by far the most generous party for under five childcare and wraparound care. £14 billion extra, that's new services that don't currently exist. Labour has a lot more money across the board, except in childcare where it's the Lib Dems, both health, education, And across the board, there is a lot of money. On pensions, all three parties have said they'd keep the triple lock for the basic state pension. That is that the pension level will go up in line with whatever's the highest every year of earnings, consumer price inflation, or 2.5%. So it'll never go up by less than 2.5%. And that puts a ratchet in there. So it will always, in some sense, either stay in line with earnings or go higher than it. And the Labour Party, on top of that, said they would have £58 billion. That's a huge amount of money for the women pensioners who've been affected by the acceleration in equalisation of the state pension age. So go back to 2010, women's pension age was 60, men's pension age was 65. It was always known since the 1990s it would be equalised in the past decade, but it was sped up. And so some people felt they weren't given enough warning of this and lost out, and Labour's going to compensate them really quite significantly. And also Labour's saying that they will not raise the state pension age higher than 66. It's due to go to 67 sometime in between 2026 and 2028. And if you don't do that, that gets very expensive. So keeping the state pension age stable is, in the long term, a very expensive policy. In the short term, clearly, the next five years doesn't cost anything. Finally, taxation plans. This has traditionally been the area of greatest divergence between Labour and the Conservatives. And is this still the case? Well, traditionally in an election, you would have Labour being a modestly tax-increasing party and the Conservatives being a modestly tax-cutting party and the Lib Dems somewhere in between. And so the interesting thing in this election is all three parties are tax-raising. So the Conservatives are raising tax by about £6 to £7 billion a year and then giving... Three billion back in national insurance tax cuts. And the big tax increase is not going ahead with a tax cut they'd already put into the forecast. So they said they'd cut taxes and then they're not going ahead with it, which is actually a tax rise. Labour, in comparison, are now, instead of a modestly tax-increasing party, they're a very large tax-increasing party. They say it's all on rich or companies, but actually it's really not on the personal taxation, huge swinging tax rises, but on companies. And there has to be some doubt whether they would actually raise the money. Most experts think that it is unlikely that they'd get the sums that they are hoping to get. And also that taxing companies doesn't only affect the top 5% who get dividends because companies pay wages and they charge prices to consumers. So how changing the tax on profits actually filters through to the economy is a very complicated thing which people can have legitimate disagreements about but it gets filtered through in multiple ways and the Lib Dems are somewhere in between but the big thing is that it's a tax raising election the 2020s will be almost certainly a tax raising decade and that is because there's pressures on public services now so people want to improve them you need more money to do that And we are in a decade of quite rapid population ageing the next decade. We haven't been in the last decade, and it's really starting from now. And that means there will be higher taxes. 
Thanks, Chris, and thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on the global pension crisis, Vladimir Putin's undaunted opponent, Alexei Navalny, or the best economic books this winter, you can subscribe and listen on the usual podcast platforms. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.